Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. it's funny I knew this was going to happen because my very first line is waiting is hard and sometimes we have to wait sometimes things get get delayed I knew it I was thinking about being mean and just like standing here in silence and making you guys wait and then like emphasizing that point but I thought that's mean so God just did it to me instead but waiting patiently is a little hard right particularly in American culture we're not good at waiting we do not like to wait I know I don't I read this week about a new unit of time that has been determined. Uh, a man named Robert Levine, in a book entitled The Geography of Time, he suggested this new creation of a unit of time, and he calls it the honkosecond. The honkosecond is measured by the time it takes between when a traffic light turns green and the person behind you honks their horn for you to go. That is the honkosecond. It's actually the smallest measurable unit of time known to science. Because none of us like to wait. None of us are very good at waiting. But we know waiting is part of life, right? Microphones don't work. Lights change. And we happen to be looking at our phones at very important things. You know, waiting happens in life. Waiting happens in human life. Waiting happens in the Christian life. Every single person who has ever followed after God, has had a season in their life when they have had to wait. As we continue to follow Jesus' life through our series, our study on the book of Mark, we talked last week, Jonathan shared that story of, of with us last week of Jesus and his disciples in the boat as they were facing a storm. And, and we talked about how sooner or later all of us, in all of our lives, we get hit with some kind of storm some kind of difficulty or, or, or struggle, be it depression or divorce or death or disease, just, you know, to name a few. All of us will go through that someday. Some of us are going through a storm today. And last week we talked about how scary it was for the disciples and how scary it is for us when Jesus doesn't just snap his fingers and immediately calm that storm, resolve that struggle, end that suffering, whatever it may be. We want Jesus to get rid of the pain in a a second, right? We want it to go away. We don't want to have to wait. But as we saw last week, and as we will see even more today, Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus' timing is always perfect, but he will never be rushed which means there are going to be times when we will have to wait. We're going to look at a a story today of just such a person who had to wait when he uh, was interacting with Jesus. And the story we're going to look at today, it's actually two stories in one. Uh, And Mark puts them together on, on purpose. Mark wants us to understand something about Jesus. Mark wants us to to take in this reality that Jesus is at work even as we wait. So if you have your Bible with you today or a Bible app, I want to encourage you to open it up 
We're going to look at Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. As when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him. And a large crowd gathered, or a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under her physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make such a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So there are two main characters in this story, two very different people who were both facing pretty incredible storms. First, there's Jairus. We're told he's a, a leader in the synagogue, which means he is an important man. He's a, a respected man. He is a man of great means, but none of that matters. None of that matters, because at this moment, his little girl, his daughter is so sick, she is at the point of death. That's Jairus' story. But then there's also this unnamed woman. And we're told she's been suffering for a long time now. Her condition has left her physically drained. She's anemic. 
she's sick. She's suffering. And, and not just in her body, but in her spirit as well, because according to Levitical law, this condition left her not only suffering physically, but emotionally, spiritually, relationally. According to that law, she, could, she couldn't enter the synagogue. She couldn't enter into community with people. She couldn't physically touch any other person. She was utterly alone. She has no money. She has no family. She's got nothing. That is her story. So Jairus and this woman, they both at the same time come to Jesus for help. And this woman, as painful as her storm was, it had been there for 12 years. It wasn't going anywhere. Jairus' daughter, on the other hand, we're told, is on the brink of death. If Jesus didn't come to her and, like, now, those 12 short years she'd had on earth, they might be her last. So this is why nobody understands it. When Jesus, noticing this woman's touch, noticing that power has gone out from him, he stops. To everybody around him, this, this stopping, Jesus stopping, this isn't just unkind, this is unconscionable. I mean, imagine Jairus' anxiety through all this. Imagine the, the disciples' irritation. This doesn't make any sense. This is, this is immoral. This is irrational. This is malpractice. Like, if these are two people who come into the same emergency room at the same hospital at the same time, any doctor who pays attention to this woman before paying attention to the child, and then the child dies, that doctor would be sued, Right? That's not how things are done. So Jairus and the disciples, they have to be thinking, Jesus, like, what are you doing? Don't you understand the situation? This little girl is dying. Hurry it up, Jesus. I wonder if that's a prayer any of us have ever prayed. Hurry up, Jesus. You know, the, I think of the clumsy, maybe kind of awkward child who goes out on the playground, is just waiting and longing for the day that he or she is maybe picked first for the team that day, or at least not picked on that day. They're praying, hurry it up, Jesus. Or there's the woman who's just trying, doing everything she can to find work that is meaningful and significant, yet just can't seem to find it. She's praying, hurry it up, Jesus. This is the man who's struggling under the incredible, intense weight, the burden of depression, is just waiting for a day when it's not so hard to get out of bed in the morning. Hurry it up, Jesus. The student, middle school, high school, college-age student who just is, is just paralyzed by anxiety. It's so, just so intense some days it feels like her heart might explode out of her chest. Hurry up, Jesus. It's a single person who's waiting, hoping that, that they, God might have marriage in store, but they're beginning to lose hope. Or the married couple who's been waiting to conceive a child week after week, month after month, year after year, to no avail. Or the persons of color who are waiting, longing for a day when everyone's children will be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Hurry it up, Jesus. 
every single one of us at some point in our lives will have a time when we have to wait. When it seems to us that Jesus is taking his sweet time and it doesn't make any sense. Author Lewis Smedes writes, Waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Waiting may be one of the hardest things we are ever called to do, which is why we need this story. We need to know that Jesus is at work in the waiting. Jesus is at work in the waiting, and, and what Jesus is doing as we wait, well, that's often just as or even more important than what we are waiting for. I'm going to say that again so it sinks in. What Jesus is doing while we wait, in our times of waiting, that is often just as or more important than what it is we are waiting for. So that begs the question, what's Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing in our times of waiting? Well, I think our, our story gives us a pretty good answer. Because it is precisely because of the delay that both Jairus and this woman, because of the delay, they both had to give to Jesus and they both got from Jesus way more than they expected. And that's what Jesus does in the waiting. We see in this story and we see in our own lives that when you go to Jesus, he will ask more of you than you originally planned to give. But he will give to you far more, infinitely more than you ever dared to ask. That's what happens in the waiting. So we're going to just look at both these stories. I'm going to start with the woman for a second. She came to Jesus. She was hoping just for a, a little touch and run healing, right? She wanted to just touch his clothes, see if that heals her, and get the heck out of there. That's what she came to Jesus and as soon as she touched Jesus, she felt in her body that she was healed. And so she started to slink away until she heard Jesus call out, who touched me? Did Jesus somehow had felt the healing happen. Somehow he felt power go out from his body to hers. But then the question remains, why ask? Like, why, why single her out and risk exposing her for what she's done? Like, you know, why not just a little, you know, he knows, he's Jesus, he knows what she's looking for. Why not just give her a little wink and a nod and let her go on her way? Why waste everybody's time on this one unnamed woman? Well, the answer is because Jesus cared far too much about her to let her do that. The healing he wanted to give is so much deeper. Jesus isn't a, a vending machine of miracles where you just get to pray the right prayers and press the right buttons and you get what you want. To Jesus, healing isn't transactional, it's relational. It's personal. Jesus wants to meet her. Jesus wants to, to know her. He wants a relationship, but for that to happen, she has to answer. She has to make herself known. She has to give to Jesus 
way more than she originally planned. And so trembling with fear, she falls at Jesus' feet and she tells him the whole truth. Twelve years of isolation, twelve years of humiliation, twelve years of, of pain, of financial ruin. She tells Jesus all the ways that she would try to find help, but she ultimately lost hope. She tells him about how she just snuck up in that crowd and just in that moment when she touched him, she was healed. That was not something she was expecting to, to give to Jesus that day, but what she was about to get from Jesus, well, that's not what she expected either. For as soon as she completed her confession, she looked up expecting to see and to hear all the judgment and condemnation that she'd gotten from every religious leader she'd encountered over the last 12 years. But when she looked up, what she saw and what she heard was Jesus. Jesus, who looked at her in love and called her daughter. Daughter, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. If she hadn't come forward, if she hadn't taken the risk of giving her whole story, her whole self to Jesus, she would have never heard those words, that healing. It, it would have happened, but it would have been her secret. And with it, her identity of a daughter, of a sister, in the community of faith. She came to Jesus. And in that time of waiting, she both gave to and got from Jesus way more than she bargained for. Some of us know what that's like. You know, it's one thing to come to Jesus. It's quite another to let our deepest needs be known. To Jesus and to the people around us. Many of us are like this woman. We'd be much more comfortable remaining anonymous and, and just sneaking away with Jesus' blessing rather than having to come forward and tell the whole story. But Jesus' healing goes deeper. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional or, or spiritual, sometimes it's the level of our relationships, sometimes it's just all that stuff we've stored up inside over the years, anger and resentment, the loneliness, the guilt, the shame. Sooner or later, we will go to Jesus for help. And Jesus will ask us to come forward and to trust him with the whole truth. It's painful. But that's also where healing begins. It did it for this woman. And Jesus can do it for us as well. What Jesus does while we wait is often just as or even more important than the thing we are waiting for. And what Jesus does in the waiting is he asks of us more than we plan to give. But he gives to us more than we could have ever dared to dream. We're going to jump now back to Jairus. Because he's really the one who's waiting in this story. But remember, it's precisely because of the waiting that both Jairus and this woman gave and got more than they ever planned. Because Jairus came to Jesus and he said, Please, just come lay your hands on my daughter and she will be made well. That's what he asked of Jesus. And they started to go, but you know, Jesus got delayed. He stopped to pay attention to this woman. Jesus makes Jairus wait. 
And it was as he was waiting that Jairus got that news that no parent would ever, ever, ever want to hear. That somebody came to him and said, it's too late. It's all over. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? And just as Jairus starts to crumple, Jesus grabs him by the arm and looks at him in the eye and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. You know, Jairus came to Jesus, it seems to me, with like this much faith, right? He came with some. He came with this much faith. That Jesus, just come heal my sick and dying daughter. Jairus came with this much faith, and Jesus asked for this much faith. He said, just, just kind of heal her, she's sick. And Jesus says, I want to give you a resurrection. This is so hard. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Trusting in Jesus when you feel like he's let you down. I mean, that might be the hardest thing we ever called to do. And some of you here today, I think you know that feeling. You've been waiting a long time. And if you're in that place, if you feel like you're waiting and you feel like Jesus is asking a lot of you, he is. But it's because there's so much more he wants to also give to you. So what does it take? How, how do we do this? How do we wait on Jesus, especially when it feels like he's delayed? Well, first thing I, I think to me, I, I think it takes is just patient trust. Asking ourselves, will I trust that God has good reasons for asking me to wait? Can I remember that, that things just look different because God views things from an eternal perspective? Remember, we told you in the, the beginning of this series that the, the Mark's story is actually Peter's story. The disciple Peter, he told it to his friend Mark who, who wrote it down. And it was later in one of his letters that the disciple Peter wrote these words. He said, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's a silly joke out there about an economist who once read this very passage of scripture and he got really excited and so talking to God he said you know Lord it, is it true that a thousand years for us is like a minute to you God said yeah yeah that that that's true well he said well then then a million dollars to us must be like a penny to you God said well yeah I, I suppose that's true so they got really excited he said well well Lord would you give me one of those pennies and God said, absolutely. Just wait one minute. The reality is, too often we want God's resources, but we do not want God's timing. We want the penny, but not the minute. We forget that God is at work while we wait. And the work that God is doing is just as or even more important than what we are waiting for. And so patient trust means we wait, giving God the benefit of the doubt. That God knows what he's doing. We need patient trust. And what fuels that patient trust is persistent 
prayer. We've talked about this a lot, and we'll talk about it more. I love the Psalms. I love the book of Psalms. The the Psalms are the, the best school of persistent prayer that we've got. And as you read them, as you learn to pray them, you find that these are, these are incredibly honest, uh, true, truthful, sometimes even uh, to the point it kind of seem a little like sacrilegious at times, prayers. The, the people who prayed the Psalms knew God well, and they knew they could be honest with God. They brought their doubt, they brought their fear, they brought their anger, they brought their lament, all of it. They brought themselves to God honestly, persistently. And you can, you can read it and you can see these are people who had real relationships with God, where they talked to God and they, they learned to listen to God back. And in so doing, they developed a relationship of trust. That patient trust comes from persistent prayer. So when we're waiting on God, we need patient trust, persistent prayer, but most of all, what we need is inextinguishable hope. It was that hope that gave Jairus the faith to follow Jesus back to his home. It was that hope that gave Jairus the courage to invite Jesus into his daughter's room. It was that hope that allowed Jairus to witness Jesus taking his daughter by the hand and raising her back to life with those beautiful words. Our our, 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 uh, version of scripture doesn't get it right. It says Talitha kum, which really at its heart just means, oh honey, oh sweetheart, time to get up. It was inextinguishable hope that gave Jairus back his daughter. I'll close with this. If you are waiting today, if you are doing your very best to trust God, but not seeing the results you hope for, you need to know that in our scripture, there is a a beautiful promise for those who are waiting. It comes from the book of Isaiah. They say, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Biblical scholar David Hubbard once wrote that, that we, we live these words, soaring, running, walking. We live these words one at a time. Do you think about your life, your life with Jesus? Sometimes you will be in seasons of spiritual soaring. You will feel yourself buoyed up, lifted up by God's power. You'll you'll experience God answering your prayers with extravagant generosity. You will feel God using you in ways that leave you astonished, flooding you with strength and wisdom beyond your ability. When you are in those seasons of soaring, be grateful. Keep following after Jesus, doing your best practices, all the things you know how to keep yourself connected with God, because don't assume that that soaring comes by your own strength. But enjoy it and give thanks to God for that season of soaring. Because sometimes we're not soaring. But we are able to run. We are able to run and not grow weary. If that's where you are, you know, anybody who has ever run any distance, you know it's not effortless. It takes work. 
And so in that kind of spiritual stage of running, you, you're, you're working at it. You're being persistent, but you're not seeing a lot of miracles. You're, you're putting in your own persistence and determination, and you know you're running your race. You may sometimes feel frustrated. It might sometimes be hard, but you also feel God's pleasure in the run. So in that space, keep praying, keep serving, keep giving, keep following Jesus faithfully. Your time will come. But then there are also times that we're not soaring, we're not running. And we can't because of doubt or pain or fatigue or failure. Sometimes in those times, all we can do is walk and not be faint. But please know, in those times, walking is enough. It is when life is the hardest, when we want so badly to quit, in those times that we just barely can put one foot in front of another, we can just say to God, I'll keep going. I'll put one foot in front of the other. I will take up my cross. I will follow Jesus, even on this road. You know, I think that God prizes our walking even more than our running or our soaring. Because there was a day when Jesus walked. Remember, he sat at this table. He served the bread and he poured the wine. And then he went out and he fell flat on his face and he prayed and he prayed and he begged and he pleaded, Father, if you can, take this cup from me. Jesus prayed. And he waited. And he waited. But because he knew that what God does in the waiting is just as or even more important than what we are waiting for, Jesus waited, and then he walked. And he walked all the way to the cross. Jesus did it for us. He suffered the ultimate pain of waiting, of wondering, and not just feeling separated from God, but actually being separated from his heavenly Father, all so we never have to. So as we wait, let us never lose hope. Jesus is at work in the waiting. All we have to do is walk.